1: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden joined by Nick Stevens. Our co-host Bob Phelan is out with his family this week, having a nice little vacation, but he will be back with us next week. Uh, On tonight's episode of On The Verge, we're going to get into some transactions involving the Orioles' 40-man roster and talk a little bit how that affects some prospects that are in the system, touch on some Arizona Fall League news, and get into our underappreciated players, the guys that we feel we maybe didn't talk about enough in 2021, that we want to give a little bit of love to on tonight's episode. That's coming up, but first, On The Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. Now, as you know, we are on uh, Patreon. We have some bonuses there for members of our community who pay for as little as $3 to have things such as daily episodes, updated prospects, list and more. And uh, Nick's going to shout out the new members of our community.
0: Yeah, we have two new people join us since our last episode, Roberto Gonzalez and Ryan Kelly. So thank you two for joining. We are approaching 60 patrons, which is pretty awesome and mind-blowing at the same time. Thank you all. And yeah, like Zach mentioned, as little as $3 a month, we're doing daily podcasts right now throughout the offseason as well. Uh, you can get daily recaps of what, how prospects did in 2021 from other websites, uh, but we're the ones that watch these guys and can provide a little bit better analysis. So uh, come join us, three bucks a month. That's it. Come hang up.
1: Yeah, we'd love to have you over there and thank you to all of our uh, patrons for their continued support. So we'll get into some transactions that the Orioles have made over the last few days, outwriting several players off the 40-man roster. One of them was infielder Pat Valeko, who we discussed a little bit last week when we talked about players that could be non-tendered, but also outrighted off the 40-man roster were pitchers Thomas Esselman and Connor Wade, along with catcher Austin Wins. Uh, and then it was announced tonight on Monday that all four of those players have elected free agency uh, now that they are off the 40-man roster. So I guess where we'll start with this discussion is Wins because we know that Adley Rutzman is going to be the Orioles catcher at some point in 2022, but we have questions about who will be joining him behind the plate, whether that's a current member of the organization or somebody brought in from the outside. I'll just start with you, uh, Nick, or were
0: you surprised that wins was let go at this point? No, not really. I mean, I also wouldn't be shocked to see him find his way back on this roster on like a new minor league deal at some point in the offseason. I mean, he doesn't really provide you with much production at the plate, and the defense, I think, is just kind of there. Um, I think the only reason he's stuck around this long is just because, you know, he has that really good relationship with pitchers in the system, and you get the vibe that a lot of the pitchers, John Means, Bruce Zimmerman especially, they really like throwing to wins, and you need a guy like this rebuilding your roster, that's fine. Um, You know, does this open the door for, like, a Nick Shufo as maybe the number two catcher next year? I don't know. I think... Honestly, I think the Orioles are going to bring in another free agent on a small, like a one-year, small contract type deal. I know I threw out the name Manny Pena uh, last week, and I've seen that name thrown around a couple more times since then. I believe you had Roberto Perez was your guy. Um, Great options out there that the Orioles can get. And I think if you want to stash wins with Shufo down in AAA uh, with the pitchers that are coming up, I think that'd be great if wins does want to come back. But I mean, definitely not shocking, but I don't think this is the last we see of Austin wins for the Austin wins fans out there. I did want to talk
1: about Sufo a little bit because he was a guy that you, Bob, and I were intrigued by after the Orioles brought him in ahead of spring training. Uh, former first rounder seemed like, especially on defense, that there was some upside there. But because of injuries, we barely saw Sufo in 2021, 17 games at the A level and two at the major league level. So between those two levels, he ended up logging the 64 plate appearances. Um, Do you think that that could deter the Orioles from giving him a larger role in 2022? Or do you think at this point you got to consider him in the mix to be at least a backup?
0: Yeah. I mean, he's in the mix for sure. Um, It it does kind of, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see a whole lot of him this past year. Uh, And, but the defense was just so highly regarded. I think that's what one of the big things that made him such a high draft pick. I I think he was a a university of South Carolina guy who committed when he was like nine years old or like 10 years old, something ridiculous. Like the guy's been lauded for his defense for a very, very long time. Um, So it's an option, but I feel like with the lack of experience and with, who the Orioles are going to be bringing up hopefully at the major league level next year, as far as pitchers go, I just think they're going to want that veteran in there. I personally believe that regardless of any rule changes, whatever, I think even if everything were to stay the same, Adley Rutschman is the catcher on opening day. Uh, and so, and you don't need like this grizzled veteran to come be a, uh, you know, a leader or a mentor to Adley. I don't think Adley needs a mentor like that on the major league roster. I think he is going to be that mentor to a lot of guys on this major league roster. Um so I mean if you want to roll a Schufo that's good. I didn't really see a whole lot offensively that makes me want to say for sure. Uh and he's so inexperienced I think bringing in another guy that has a little bit more experience, maybe a little bit better bat will, will help out on the days that Adley isn't behind the plate because I also don't think when Adley's up he's going to be a log a significant number of games behind the plate. I I would wouldn't be shocked if they kind of rested him a little bit because we know next year that the Orioles aren't going to be competing. So, kind of why waste that wear and tear on his knees uh, this year as much as they probably want to? Yeah. And with the way that
1: they use him in the minor leagues this year, playing first base a lot, DHing from time to time, you have to think that you're going to see that in the major leagues to some extent next year, even if it's not like it was with Billy, where Rutsman basically was in the lineup every day because if he wasn't catching, he was playing first base or he was DHing.
0: Yeah. And so that, that's why I think you probably want a more established veteran uh, just so you don't, um, you know, we just didn't really get to see Shufo at, at all this year. And Brett Cumberland, I think we were all were hoping would be that guy. But again, Brett Cumberland went like two months without hitting a home run after coming out of the gates hot and just really struggled to hit. And really that on base percentage he had in AAA this year was super held up by like getting hit by like almost 30 pitches this year you take those away, even cut those in half. I mean, that own base percentage is really struggling and that has been his claim to fame uh, since he was back with the Braves organization. So a disappointing for Cumberland as well, maybe helps out Shufo's case a little bit more, but yeah, again, I, I really like um, if you want to bring wins back on, on a minor league deal and this is a guy who maybe down the road, you see getting into like coaching or something based on the reputation I think he has. Uh, but even if Wins isn't brought back, I believe Chris Hudgens will still be in the organization. And that's a name who probably could have made this underappreciated list we're going to talk about later on. But Hudgens was the guy who seemed to work really well with a lot of pitchers as well and could start next year in AAA if, if Wins doesn't come back.
1: Yeah, the Orioles do have some options. And it's one of the things that we've talked about in the show a few times is a catcher is a position where you want a lot of depth. And I feel like the Orioles, you know, in spite of having the best catching prospect in all of baseball and their system, have really built that depth up when you have guys like, you know, Hudson's, Ramon Rodriguez, um, you know, John Connor Pavloni, um, even Creed Williams down towards the bottom of the farm system really shows that they're building up in Maverick Hanley, whose defense, you know, we have praised on this show repeatedly.
0: Yeah. Plenty, plenty of options that go, uh, don't get talked about for sure. Um, really hoping maverick can they break out next year me too vivek uh that's been my guy from the start um you know we'll see what happens uh with this uh catching rotation but yeah i mean as far as the other moves go as well like nothing surprising there either but i, I swear if tom Eshelman finds his way back on the roster next year he has something on Michael elias because I-, I don't know why even his triple a depth like he's not going to provide you anything whatsoever but yeah, best of luck to all those guys. I hope they continue yeah. their careers elsewhere, just not in Baltimore. It's time to move on. I,
1: I just have this weird feeling that Tom Esselman is going to be back next year and on the opening day roster. I have no reason to suspect that. I just do. I just have this feeling that it's like it's going to be the sixth inning on opening day. The Orioles go to the bullpen, and here comes Tom Esselman in relief of John Means.
0: I can't, I, I want to make it at least like two months into the minor leagues or the regular season next year before I like tune out, hopefully a little bit longer. I don't want to tune out on opening day when Tom Vesselman is back <laughs> on the Well, uh, uh,
1: A yeah. lot of all season to go here, but the Orioles clearing some space on the 40 man roster, which is key for obviously bringing in new players, but then also for some of the tough decisions they're going to have to make in the rule five draft, which we actually have a question about that from a listener that we're going to get to in a little bit. But first we want to talk about some Arizona fall league news. The big story out of there is that Kyle Stowers has left uh, the Arizona fall league due to a minor back issue. Rock Cavato reported this over at mass a few days ago. Um, seems like it's definitely a precautionary move as uh, rock notes that Stowers uh, is, you know, this move helps make it certain that Stowers will be ready for spring training. Um, didn't get a lot of time out there. But I think as we talked about a lot, it didn't necessarily seem like he had much to prove after the 2021 season that maybe this was just a way for him to face the most advanced competition you can possibly face in any postseason minor league. Stowers, unfortunately, is not going to get that opportunity. But the good news is that at least so far, it doesn't look like it's serious, injury.
0: Yeah. I think that's the best thing is that it seems like it's just like you mentioned, just a precautionary move for Stowers. I just think that, you know, it was a long season. He played across three levels. We saw the massive power numbers. We, we know that huge massive cut that he has at the plate. I was shocked he was even sent out to Arizona just because I didn't imagine we'd see any real top prospects go, but I guess maybe, you know, keep, keep the good vibes rolling with Stowers so we can roll that right along the spring training. And hopefully, uh, compete for an opening day roster spot. But at this point, like, just go home, prepare for 2022, come out fresh. I really don't think there's anything to be concerned with at all here. And I've been listening to a lot of other stuff and, and reading some other articles and, and such over the last couple of weeks since the Arizona Fall League started. And actually, there's been a lot of talk of how the pitching is kind of down. I think it's typically, it's not, it, it's typically on the tad weaker side in the Arizona Fall League. The hitters are always much more advanced than the pitchers over there. And especially after this 2021 season, a lot of these guys are just, they have to be gassed at this point without having that 2020 season. And so there's just a lot of talk about when you're looking at like the offensive performances from these guys that combined the pitching uh, caliber mixed with, you know, the the air out in Arizona, it's very easy for guys to put up pad their stats, put up big numbers. Um, Like, do you really want to risk further injury with Cal Stowers? If he's not going up against maybe the, the truly elite pitchers this year in the AFL, Uh, So I think it's great. Just bring him home and and let's start fresh next year.
1: Yeah. And Stowers, I think kind of faced a, you know, the twofold issue, not only just coming off the pandemic, but he played, if you count the three games that he got into in the Arizona fall league, 124 games this season um, across three levels of the minor league, plus one postseason league. That's a lot of time for a guy who has not played a full season of pro ball up until this year.
0: Yeah, it was a 2019 draft pick. So he had, you know, half a season there in the lower levels in the minor league and then nothing in 2020. I mean, he was at the alt site, I believe, but still like that's not a full minor league season. So I, I think, yeah, and that swing, that swing is just so massive. Like I'm surprised we didn't see anything sooner to be completely honest. Um, He's not an injury risk guy, I don't think, but um yeah. luckily it was nothing too serious. Uh, I haven't seen anything though about if he's getting replaced because I would imagine obviously the Orioles would get to send someone else out there. And I was thinking it might be someone from who's already in Sarasota, so they're already playing and they can put them on a plane and send them out to Arizona. But I haven't seen anything on that front yet, so I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I haven't either, and I don't know if we should expect something there. But I agree with you that you're probably looking at an outfielder that's already in Sarasota, um, is already having their season extended. So rather than you know stay there and do drills at the complex, they're going to go out to Arizona for a few weeks, maybe get into a few games.
0: Yeah. I mean, at least using the LDS looks good out there. So there's at least <laughs> one positive from out there in Arizona. I know I'm looking up today, kind of midstream here. Um, it was 15 to 16 was today's score. Uh, Mesa lost and the, the pitching gave up, uh, 14 combined runs. And Logan Gillespie, Connor Lopridge and Nick Vespi were part of the trio that pitched today for Mesa who gave up those 14 runs. So kind of a rough night on the pitching front, but, um, I, I want to get some some takes from some people who were there because box score watching at this point, Arizona Fall League, is is not giving us too much information.
1: No, not at all. I mean, I know there has been some coverage there. Mm-hmm. Keith Law wrote a piece last week, I think, criticizing the you know, robo-ump experiment that's going on, saying that it has created a strike zone that is tilted in, in advantage of the hitters. Uh, but beyond that, we're kind of relying on you know, general reports and then some uh, clips on social media. We do get the occasional good video clip. So yeah. some contribute asking when the Arizona fall league ends, it will end sometime early November, I believe is normally when it ends.
0: Yeah. I think there's just a couple more weeks left. The all-star game should be soon. And that one is televised. So hopefully some Orioles guys get on that list. And then the championship game will be televised as well. And, that's a coin flip. Who knows who's going to make that? Who knows what the roster is going to look like by the end of the year? Uh, there was I was listening to Kevin Goldstein's podcast, Chin Music, uh, today from his episode last week. And he had Eric Langenhagen on. And uh, Kevin asked him, you know, who, are the, who stood out to you? Because we know Eric Langenhagen is out there in these fields watching these games. Uh, and he just kind of threw out the name, a broad question. Who's impressed you out there? And Langenhagen did throw out the name of Logan Gillaspie. Uh, who his first outing was two and one third innings five strikeouts no hits no walks no runs a great outing he got roughed up today but Longenhagen really loved the fastball Uh, he said he has two distinct fastballs can run up to 97 miles per hour I think we saw 98 or 99 at Bowie earlier this year Uh, so just the fact that Longenhagen took the time to throw out a reliever like Logan Gillespie in that segment I think says a lot and piques my interest going into 2022.
1: Yeah, absolutely, especially when he's coming off the season where we saw the strikeout numbers take a significant uptick from what we had seen of him in prior seasons in the Brewers system.
0: Yeah, and there was he mentioned specifically, like, he has a, a unique trajectory. Like, this is a guy who was cut from the Brewers and the Orioles brought him in late, so this is probably why he's out in Arizona. But Galassi is no slouch. I mean, this wasn't just a random reliever the Orioles brought in. You met the strikeouts. He wasn't a big strikeout guy before he joined the Orioles organization. Now he is. So this is a guy who could start next year in AAA and possibly see some innings at the major league level next year.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be really interesting to see him break through. We'll um, move on to a listener question that we have here before we get into our underappreciated players segment. Um, this comes from at Orioles statistics on Twitter. Where do you see Sedlock and Blaine Knight fitting into a future Orioles team? Uh, perhaps this is already part of your underappreciated talk. But I'm just curious to hear about their trajectory after starting their careers with high expectations, hitting roadblocks, and now bouncing back. Uh, talking there, of course, about Cody Sedlock and Blaine Knight. Um, Sedlock is a guy that is former first-rounder, battled a lot of injuries in his career. Um, Looks good in 2021, though. Blaine Knight really struggled with high A. Frederick in 2019. Uh, seemed to be ridden off to a certain extent coming into this year, but then looked particularly good at Aberdeen and Bowie and then had a good one at Norfolk before. I think he just tired out a little bit um, just to, to address the one part of this question. Neither of those players was on our underappreciated list, but we do want to talk about them here for a few minutes. So Nick thoughts on that question.
0: Yeah. These are two guys that I'm thinking a lot about. Um, you know, Knight did struggle when he got to AAA. like there's no sugarcoating that the numbers were pretty bad. He wasn't getting swings and misses. I know there were, a couple outings uh, that you, know, you look at the line at the end of his outing in AAA and he had no strikeouts, um, which is tough. And two or three innings worth of work. Um, yeah, I talked about this a little bit when I recapped the Norfolk Tide season over on On Orioles a couple of weeks ago. And I think a few things came into play here with Blaine Knight. And that's, you know, his wife gave birth to their first child in late July. And that game that we were at in Bowie was, he pitched that day kind of struggled a little bit. The next day he was put on the inactive list because his wife gave birth. So I imagine that his mind was elsewhere thinking like he's going to become a first time dad any second. Uh, So maybe that contributed a little bit. Um, I think these guys are humans. And as much as we want them to be robots, like they just aren't. And so I think he was wearing down. He was another guy who got two promotions. So he pitched across three levels this year after not pitching in 2020. The body broke down, and then he has this newborn baby on top of that. And like as a dad, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and say that I'm not going to hold his AAA experience against him. Uh, it's not ideal because he is Rule 5 eligible, and so the Orioles have a tough decision to make. Um, but for Setlock, like I had completely written him off back in 2019. I was pretty much done with him. Uh, I thought 2020 was also going to be kind of like a death blow to him. After not pitching for a full season, kind of lost his opportunity there, be bypassed, or just his age finally catching up to him. But he had a pretty good year in Bowie and Norfolk. When he did get hit hard, like it would go downhill pretty quickly. Uh, no denying that. But the fastball velocity was there, like 95-94 miles per hour. The changeup looked really, really good at the end of the year. Just kind of when it's on, it just looks like on on MILB TV video, it just looks like it flutters in there and it's almost unhittable. And him and Michael Bauman in 2019 were kind of like these poster boys for what the Orioles new player development staff could do with pitchers. And it was working uh, so far in the lower levels of the minor league. So I think just like Knight, like, the Orioles going to have very tough decisions when it comes to these two guys. And I'm having a hard time coming up with my like final guesses as to whether they are protected or not, because I could see both of them getting swiped by other organizations. It's interesting because Sedlock has been Rule
1: 5 eligible twice before this offseason, has slipped through the Rule 5 drafts both times. 2020, that was not unexpected, but in 2019, he had showed improved health, better performance across a couple of levels of the Orioles system. So it seemed like if he was going to get taken in the Rule 5 draft, that would have been it. And then it didn't happen. But, you know, I just question can you sneak him through a third time, especially because he's a guy that, at the very least, has shown that when he's on, he can give you three solid innings out of the bullpen. And maybe even fit in somewhere as a back end starter.
0: Yeah, I think the difference this year too is that he's proven that he is healthy across a long stretch now, and he can do it at Double A, and he did it at Triple A for an extended period of time too. So, like, I don't know who all is eligible out there. I haven't done the homework again. Like I mentioned before, I leave that up to Vivek uh, to do the homework. They on who's available, but like. I mean, if you're a team like the Pirates or, or somebody, or the maybe not the Tigers, I think they're kind of moving on this. They're kind of where the Orioles fans are hoping we will be at next year. Um, you look at some of those teams that are going to pick early in the Rule Five draft; they're going to need pitching, and if they can get a guy like Cody Sedlock and see if it works, try it out. Like I have to imagine they're going to be willing to try it out, even if he is only someone who can give them you know 20 innings the beginning of the year. It's extremely cheap. A virtually free pick uh, for these teams so why not at least give it a shot And I don't think he sneaks to a third time either
1: yeah I think it's gonna be tough now with Knight when I saw Knight at his best this year I looked at him and thought that guy's gonna be ready for the major league bullpen next year there, there's no way you want to leave him unprotected because fastball is running you know mid to upper 90s he's got his off-speed stuff working but then as you said, he really did sort of hit a wall at AAA and just stopped. Basically, he wasn't missing bats anymore. He was getting hit around. And I'll just bring up some numbers here. His last four outings in particular were rough. 11 and the third innings, walked eight batters, struck out four, gave up 16 earned runs on 21 hits. You know, so that accounts for a good portion of his time in AAA. And, yeah, there were uneven results here and there throughout the year. But I guess when I look at that, I'm left to wonder, did that happen because this is the most innings he's thrown? uh, We're coming off the pandemic and he pits at three different levels this year? Or is this a sign that more advanced hitters are figuring things out with him that hitters at high A and double A couldn't?
0: Yeah, uh, that's completely valid. And, I mean, I have those concerns, too. I just think there's just all the weirdness with baseball is going to continue for a little bit longer, especially at the minor league level, maybe the major league level, like we're, we're smooth, we'll be smoothed out starting next year, but with minor leaguers and player development, I think you're still going to see effects of the pandemic continue to roll on for another year or two. Uh, so I'm willing to give him as long as he can, if he sticks around the organization next year, I am more than willing to give him another opportunity but I do agree that like I don't think the leash is going to be very long on Knight because he's pretty much reached the point where either you're going to miss those bats at the AAA level against more advanced hitters, or maybe this was it. This was his wall, and this is as far as he's going to go. But I'll give him one last shot to try to prove it if, as long as he sticks around. But I can also see another team looking at what he did in A this year and saying, I really like that. I want to take a flyer on him.
1: I mean, the Rule 5 draft can be tough to predict sometimes because we didn't see, you know, the Cubs taking Gray Fenter. Now, Fenter obviously ended up back in the system, but, you know, there was a few weeks there where Fenter had a shot to make an opening day roster in the major leagues, and, you know, obviously it didn't happen, but sometimes it's hard to tell what other teams are looking for because that's almost how you have to try to analyze Rule 5 drafts. It's not just what fits the Orioles, but... You know, what are other teams going to be in the market for? Which is why, when we've discussed this on air a few times, I've mentioned, you know, how many National League teams are going to be looking for low cost DHs um, if the DH is indeed instituted, and how does it affect your decision with Robert Newstrom and whether to protect him or even a guy like Patrick Dorian? So, rule five draft can be tough to analyze.
0: Yeah, I think Baseball America had a piece out recently about how this being this past rule five draft being one of the more successful rule five drafts uh, in a long time. So maybe teams look at that and say, is the talent pool getting bigger and better in this rule five draft? And maybe we take it a little bit more seriously, or maybe we at least, you know, every team's going to take it seriously, but maybe we give these guys, we take a little bit more time uh, in the major leagues to see if we've had something here. So I, I don't know. I mean, the Orioles, I think hit a home run with Tyler Wells. And he was their second pick in that rule five draft last year. So It's definitely going to be interesting. And of course, behind all this, like we have no idea what is going to happen. Like it appears now today, like a lockout is imminent and, you know, baseball is going to just crumble at this point. I mean, we don't know. It looks like a dark near future. Uh, And so we'll see how all that impacts Rule 5 draft and how players want to build their rosters. We don't know.
1: Yeah, there is a lot. You know, Nick just mentioned this. The AP reported today that there is a lot of difficulties that going on in the negotiations, and it looks like more likely than not we're going to have a work stop. It's because the CBA is not going to be you know renewed or reworked before the December first deadline. But yeah, you know, we've got a few weeks here to figure out where that's going to go. But that throws a wrench into a lot of things this off season.
0: Yep. We'll see on the next few weeks go. I guess maybe just uh, enjoy this World Series. Enjoy a Jocktober if you're a Braves fan and if you're an Astros fan. I mean, go Dusty Baker, I guess. Like, let's enjoy these last few days of baseball because who knows what the winner's going to look like.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we'll uh, move on now to our underappreciated players list. And admittedly, the criteria for this is kind of subjective. And I'll talk a little bit about my list uh, when we get to it, but we'll start with the first player on Nick's list. And Nick, just to give us a little bit of background, how did you put together your selections?
0: Uh, so it's kind of just kind of thinking about things, topics we could talk about for this episode. And you know, for like a minor league podcast, we're running pretty dry here. Um, we need we need something to talk about. And I just thought, like, an underappreciated team. I thought originally, like, an underrated team, but then I was like, no, underappreciated. Kind of like, I like that idea better. Guys that had good seasons. We're not saying these guys are future major leaguers. We're not saying, like, they're underrated, even. Uh, they're like guys that are going to surprise us and, and become, you know, huge top 30 prospects in the future. That may never be the case, but guys that grinded throughout the minor league season, they had good years. But, you know, no one talked about them. We never really got a chance to highlight them. Maybe we over- even overlooked a few of these guys. And uh, I think just a few names popped up to- popped up in my head. I had about 15 names, but I whittled that way down for the podcast. Um, the first name I thought of was Christopher Cespedes. I know we have mentioned that name a couple times, but this is a name that I just feel like I loved watching this guy crush baseballs all season long. And apparently, like, I was one of the few people who did because his highlights on our social media accounts just got, like, No love this season. And that made me sad, but he's an older guy, right? Like five seasons he spent when he was with the uh, Cleveland organization. uh, I'm not going to be able to get used to saying guardians. When he was with the Cleveland organization, he was five years in the DSL or the Arizona league with them. No 2020 season. So that's six years since being signed that he was not in full season ball. Uh, Comes out in Delmarva. Low batting average. He only hit 232 with a 301 on base percentage, but the home run power was there. He had 15 home runs in the in total this year, got promoted to high A, hit well in high A, raised the batting average like 30 points when he got promoted to Aberdeen. And he already got a contract for 2022, along with Nick Vespi and Peralta right after the season. So I mean, there are a lot of outfielders in the system, a lot of younger outfielders, guys with higher ceilings. This is clearly a position of like extreme depth and talent here in Birdland. So I think for the Orioles to go ahead and just lock Cespedes down again for 2022 speaks volumes about what they think about him. And so I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do in double a next year because what if like that's, that's the thing with these minor leaguers. They're all lottery tickets. It's what if he hits well in double a, what kind of conversation are we going to be having about Christopher Cespedes this time next year?
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, it's good to have that kind of depth at the upper levels of the system, and you know we know that Cespedes is probably going to be a buoy next year, in maybe some sort of reserve type role playing a few days a week. But when he's locked in, he hits the ball hard. Uh, that power is legitimate, and I think it was Eric Longenhagen had, who had noted his exit velocities coming into the season is kind of making him a player to watch. Um, and we saw that especially when he got to Aberdeen. I thought it was interesting that how much better he got when he went to Aberdeen and i don't know what was behind that but he was definitely a much more complete hitter at the high a level this year than he was at the low a level
0: yeah the the power and it was kind of like with Kyle Stowers moving from double a AA to triple a same kind of thing with Christopher Cespedes. Yeah. The power may not have been there as much as it was in previous levels he played at, but he became a more well-rounded hitter, more singles, more doubles, uh, higher on base, higher batting average. And so I I really like seeing that this isn't a guy who hit, you know, two barely hit 200 when he went to Aberdeen with eight home runs. Like that's what I would expect of Cespedes, but he hit a lot better than that. So I just think a shout out to Christopher Cespedes and he deserves a, a round of applause and clearly the Orioles, like what they saw in him this year, and he'll be back next season.
1: Yeah, and putting together my list for this, I tried to figure out, like, who did I not include in our final segment a lot uh, where we would talk about guys outside of our top 30 that we thought were playing well? Uh, Because you can make a case that T.T. Bowens belongs on our list, but I didn't include T.T. Bowens on mine because I think I picked T.T. Bowens for that segment three or four times. Um, so I, I tried to keep that in mind when putting this together, which was who just really didn't get much recognition at all. Or do I think we need to tell the story of their season in a little bit better context, which is why I picked the first player on my list, Lamar Sparks. Uh, Sparks is a guy that's been, you know, at one point is a top 30 prospect in the system, a f- you know, several years ago, battled injuries, really fought his way back and got back on the field this year in late June. And played about as well at Del Marva as I think you could have hoped over 45 games, with a, posting a 732 OPS before getting promoted to Aberdeen and putting solid, putting together solid numbers there over 27 games. You know, as you mentioned with Cespedes, there's a lot of outfield depth in the system, so you know guys like Sparks and Cespedes really have to compete for at bats. But I think getting back on the field and making the most of his opportunities this year was big for Sparks.
0: Yeah. He may not look like it. The frame, he looks like a smaller frame guy, but he's at power speed and he's a good defender. And I mean, he was drafted all the way back in 2017, which like blows my mind. And I never saw an at bat of his until this season, uh, you know, came out of the 2017 draft with all the tools there and a pretty high ceiling. And I remember I had someone reach out to me and ask like, right after the draft was over, like, Hey, other than like the top guys, give me a sleeper guy, give me the sleeper hitter and pitcher to watch for from this draft class. And the the hitter I came up with instantly was Lamar sparks from that draft class. Uh, because I loved what I saw that the highlights from him coming out of the high school ranks in Texas. I love the interviews that I could find with him, but like these were major injuries that he suffered that wiped out virtually almost three full seasons. I mean, he only had 78 games of Gulf coast league ball coming into this season. So like, this is a guy who you can't just look at his age and write him off immediately. Um, he put up big numbers this year. Got promoted to high A. Played well there. Um, I was extremely excited to watch him. Finally get to watch him play the game on the field, and I don't think he disappointed.
1: No, absolutely not. I, I was really happy with what he put together this year.
0: Uh, I'm going to go next one on my list is a pitcher we have talked about a couple of times, but. I just want to use every opportunity I can to talk about him, Ophelki Peralta. And we're going to dive into more about him when we do our Rule 5 episode, I'm sure, because he is eligible. But maybe I'm a little too high on him, but I'm fine with that. And I'm going to beat this drum as often as I can until he proves me wrong. I just think that Peralta should not be in professional baseball right now. And he's signed out of the Dominican Republic in 2013. Yeah, he was a, top, a former top thirty prospect, and he was actually seen by a lot of people outside the organization as a legitimate international prospect in this system, who was signed you know eight years ago at this point. Um, but when you're on your fourth tour of A ball and you can't cut it in Frederick and get sent back to Del Marva, like I think that would like spell the end of your career. Then 2020 wipes out the season. New regime comes in. And now he's got a new contract for 2022 after a good season in double-A AA and triple-A. Um, I don't know. He got beat up in July for sure, but then he bounced back really strong. Good strikeout numbers, good walk numbers as well. Only allowed one home run over the final like month of the season with his highest strikeout rate of the year that month. The Orioles seem intent on working him as a starter, but I just think that if you put him in the bullpen, like there's even more to unlock there with a Afelke. One, two inning stints. He can run up to 98, 99, even possibly 100 miles an hour. Let's see what happens with the guy.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that you can unlock more out of a Peralta by putting him in the bullpen because you're going to see a fastball velocity tick up, as you mentioned. And I think his secondaries would play well in there as well. But honestly, I'm just happy that we're having this conversation because if you would ask me a year ago, you know, are you going to be talking about a Peralta? Getting a new contract to come back to the Orioles system in 2022 and possibly have a line on a role in the major leagues early in the year, if not on opening day. I would have said probably not. Uh, Because as you mentioned, he went to Frederick, hit a wall, struggled there repeatedly, and just looked like he was going to be one of those guys that, you know, with an initial good initial impression uh, was going to, you know, get to Frederick with a lot of hype and never get past there. And then yet the season he put together this year was just all around impressive. And I feel like he's a guy that, you know, we
0: could see in a role in the major leagues next year. Yeah. And I remember there's an article, I believe it was Steve Molesky here wrote it. I'm not sure to be honest off the top of my head, but where Peralta said, like, look, he went to the organization or the organization came to him. And Peralta was very open about do whatever with me. Like I'm yours. You develop me exactly how you see fit. And he completely trusted this system, and it worked. It paid off this year, and I think you saw improvements from Ophelki Prata. And if anything, he's another—he's an example that you can look to and say, "Yes, this system can develop pitchers." And I mean, they turned Ophelki Prata from nothing into a possible major league—even if it's just a bullpen piece—that's a major league piece and a guy who shouldn't be in baseball right now. Uh, like ninety-nine point nine percent odds that he'd be out of baseball at this point, based on his career trajectory. Uh, so, I think it's a really great story for the Orioles.
1: So Vivek asks here, is there a Jorge Lopez comp uh, for Ofalke Peralta? Maybe start, but better in the bullpen.
0: I see it. I agree with that.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's kind of, you know, something you could see. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up doing both starting and relief work in the majors. But I think he's more likely to end up in the bullpen. Uh, Speaking of the bullpen, one of the guys that I put on my list was David LeBron. And the reason that I wanted to talk about LeBron was that this is someone that between the two highest levels in the minor leagues, pitched a lot of innings this year and struck out a lot of batters. 73 and a third innings between Bowie and Norfolk picked up 106 strikeouts. Now that came with 43 walks. But when I think you look over the balance of the season, he was generally one of the more reliable relievers particularly in that multi-inning type role that the Orioles were really relying on for piggybacking. He got to triple A at the end of the year and put together nice numbers, Um, limited stint, but in five games, 11 and two thirds innings, struck out 15 batters, uh, 309 ERA. So a guy that at 27, a little older, but also has not pitched a whole lot coming into this year, just one full season previously, and that was with Frederick back in 2019. So, just yeah, something to keep an eye on with LeBron.
0: I had him on my list as well. Uh, he didn't make my final cut for the show, but a reliable bullpen arm for Bowie. I know. I know we had a lot of people comment uh, in previous episodes as well throughout the season. Like it was very obvious that the Bowie bullpen struggled this season, uh, but LeBron was pretty reliable and consistent. Him and Duhannis Almingo was another guy that I was going to throw up there, but. Two reliable arms out of Bowie's bullpen. Um, The high strikeout rate continued in Norfolk. Another example also of a guy who could not pitch very well in Frederick, but yet he turns it around in Bowie. I mean, we've seen this a lot. We've talked about a lot of these guys. Like Frederick was just a graveyard for these Orioles pitchers. Uh, And LeBron really turned it around. The walks are an issue. They can climb up and, and pile up pretty quickly and I don't believe he's a big velo guy. I want to say he's like 91, 92 miles an hour with the fastball from the right-hand side. So like, but there's a lot of swing and miss stuff there. You mentioned the strikeout totals. If he can just find the strike zone consistently, like I wouldn't be shocked to see him up in the major leagues. It, even if it's just one of these couple of coffee guys and, and the Orioles have to move on, he's going to get an opportunity, I think. And I believe it was the Rangers, but like Michael I traded for him. I think it was like international slot dollars or this is some money that they sent over to Texas, I believe. But, this is a Michaelis guy that he targeted. So keep that in mind as well.
1: Yeah, picked up in a trade uh, February of
0: 2019. There you go. So I would just keep him in mind. Um, next list, I don't think, I don't know if we ever mentioned this pitcher once on the show all year, but uh, it's Jake Prezina who spent most of the time in Aberdeen. Like literally no one talked about Jake Prezina all season. And like, we probably should have done a better job of hyping him up as well, but this is why he's on our list. Um, Zach Peak name-dropped him a couple of weeks ago when he was on the show as a guy that Peak regularly turns to to talk pitching because of a, what a great resource he is, and I really love that. I love knowing which players are the go-to guys for other players because it's always guys like Jake Prezina, guys you would never imagine um, that other guys are going to and looking for for help in certain areas of their game. Uh, you know, Prezina, 24 years old, lefty, a 31st-round pick. That's something that you're not going to see anymore out of Seattle. So smaller school guy, late round draft pick. This was his first season of pro ball. And he had a 3.56 ERA, a 1.19 whip, 228 average against between Delmarva and Aberdeen. Again, a lower VLO guy is not going to overpower you. But I also think that if you compare him to like your Drew Rom, Zach Louther, Alex Wells, he's going to rank lower than those guys. And the stuff isn't as good, but he's a solid left. who's put up good numbers across two seasons, a season and a half in the Orioles system. I imagine he starts next year in Bowie where we can get a better idea of him because spending all year in Aberdeen didn't really help anybody as far as like getting to know who they are because there were, there was no broadcast. There was no information coming out of Aberdeen. So I think that adds to this, but Jake Prezina is definitely a name to to see how he starts out in Bowie next year. See if he can handle that level of competition.
1: Yeah. He's been really solid since he came into the Orioles system. And I, I liked hearing from Zach peak about that as well. That Prezina is a guy that he looks to for advice because you know, we really didn't hear much out of Aberdeen. So just to kind of hear the nuances of what these players are like and how they go, you know, go about their business. And Brazina's case is a pitcher is interesting. And, you know, like you said, I, he's probably in double a next year. So we'll learn more about him, but I think with what he did in 2021 definitely came through as a pleasant surprise.
0: Yeah. I think I remember from 2019 class, I think he gave like no home runs and across like almost 40 innings, his first season, uh, and the home runs weren't ridiculous, I think, this year with Aberdeen. So just a name to watch. I love the lefties. Let's see if – call him a crafty lefty if you want, I guess. Let's see if he can craft his way up to the upper levels of the minor leagues. And I, I love these – Jake Prezina is like exactly like the type of minor leaguer that I love following and why I love minor league baseball so much because what if what if he hits? Amazing story.
1: Yeah, it, oh, it absolutely would be. So – my next player on this list is a guy that we talked about a lot right after he was drafted, but then didn't, I feel like, spend much time on once he actually started playing. And that's Dante Williams, the Orioles' fourth rounder in the 2021 draft. And I'm just going to run off some numbers here. 21 games at Del Marva, 798 OPS, five stolen bases and six attempts. And although we don't really have any numbers to back this up, Reports on his defense are glowing, going back to his time in Arizona. And while there are a lot of talented outfielders in the Orioles system, you look at a guy like Williams and think that there's a pretty solid base there because of his glove work, because of the fact that he was you know, generally a, a, a solid hitter at Arizona, but definitely seemed to come into his own a little bit more in 2021. So I think going into 2022, he's going to be one of those guys that I'm looking at of can he get somewhere where he gets consistent at-bats to start the year and emerge as a breakout candidate, but his 2021 was also pretty good.
0: Yeah, playing time is going to be the issue for him for sure because it's so deep, and I remember as soon as the pick was made, MLB pipeline guys were like prototypical fourth outfielder, like safe kind of whatever pick for the Orioles. Like They didn't seem too excited, but since then, like I've seen other people... Yeah, I've seen Orioles fans who, like, they really love Dante Williams. Like, this is their guy that they're following that they think they can break out. I've seen others outside of the organization who are kind of high on Williams and his ability. Mentioning Eric Longenhagen on Kevin Goldstein's podcast last week, uh, he threw Dante Williams' name in. There's a question about the Orioles and the rebuild and how that's going. And and Longenhagen, of course, took the prospect route. And he mentioned Dante Williams as part of this group with Servidio and Stowers um, as, like, they're risky picks, but like they're really sexy picks. And Logan loves Dante Williams. So to name drop Williams there, I thought was pretty awesome as well. You know, more walks and strikeouts when he was with Del Marva this year. You love to see that. I love the speed. The outfield is this does seem to be his top calling card for right now, but I could see this being a sneaky good pick for the Orioles, a raw hitter with decent skill set. And when I mean, you're talking about an outfielder with good raw skills, look at Robert Neustrom, look at Kyle Stowers, look what they did with Zach Watson. Look what the Orioles did with those guys. Dante Williams is another one who I think the Orioles could unlock a whole lot of stuff with next year.
1: I'm glad mm-hmm. you mentioned the walks because that's not a trend that's limited to Del Marva. I think when we had Stephen Loftus on um, for the, our day two draft show, he noted, you know, Williams' patience at to plate, And at Arizona this spring, Williams walked 50 times, struck out 40 times in 62 games. And if you look over the course of his college career – um, especially after his freshman season, that was pretty much a trend. He was posting walk rates well into the teens every season there. Uh, cool. And then, you know, in that shortened 2020 pandemic season, at the time that the college baseball season stopped, his walk rate was over 20%. So this is a guy that has a well-established track record in college of being a pace and hitter, and he brought that into pro ball this year. Nope.
0: Yep. And, I mean, that's Pac-12 competition. So, I mean, this isn't some small school guy who was facing, like, really bad pitching. Uh, that's Pac-12. He's facing a lot of really stud pitching staffs over there in the West Coast. So, love to see that. Again, like I said, could be a sneaky pick. We'll see if he can crack these lineups. That's, that's what I'm anxious to see. How do the Orioles get all these outfielders playing time next year? But I'm going to go to the next guy on my list. I'm going to go back to pitching. And I'm going to go with Jake Lyons, a guy who – Kind of overlooked early on in the year, but then the numbers started piling up, and he got close to this promotion to high A. He's a 6'5", 280 pounds. That's what he's listed as. Very big boy. Works very quickly. I love games where he pitched because they would go so quick. Uh, A Lucas Giolito-style delivery out there on the mound. 22nd-round pick out of Oklahoma State. He struck out 102 guys across 79 innings between Delmarva and Aberdeen. Closed out the year with 17 strikeouts over his 11 innings that he got with the Ironbirds. He only walked three when he was with Aberdeen in those 11 innings. Uh, Love the stuff. A lot of swinging strikeouts with high fastballs hitters. Just can't catch up to it. Uh, I think this is an arm who could be converted into a relief role and move up quickly through the system. High strikeout numbers, easy transition to high a, I think that's why I put him on my list. He was underappreciated arm in the system all year. I think he deserves some attention heading into 22. And we'll see, kind of like Ophelki, Pralta, and a lot of these other guys, Like, do the Orioles go ahead and make that move now in the bullpen, and does that skyrocket him up the the system even quicker?
1: This is a good pick because pitchers like him really are a key to building you know that, that talent pipeline of just having arms in your system you can depend on. And I agree with you. I think that he's the kind of pitcher that you could put in a bullpen and really see him start to move quickly. And for those that have not seen it yet, you should definitely check out Lions' delivery uh, on video because there is a definite Lucas Giolito parallel there. Not that he has Giolito stuff, but the parallel with the delivery is striking and similar mound presence too.
0: Yeah, that's another thing with a lot of these guys in the lower levels of the minor leagues. Like There's a, a new confidence brooding among these guys. You're Jake Lyon's. We talked about, we asked Zach Peake about his K strut and Ignacio Feliz in that K strut. Uh, there's another name on this list we're going to talk about in a minute who just had a real dominating presence out on the mound, even though he's not a big guy like Lions is. But Lyons is just, this is a guy who's a sturdy guy. And 6'5, 280, like you're not going to get beat around pretty easily. And if you need him to go three, four innings out of the pen, he can. And, and I think this guy whose stuff can also play up a lot if you put him in just one inning relief role. So, a name I'm excited to watch in 2022. We'll see if he starts, maybe he starts in high, but he's an older guy. So maybe a start out of the Bowie's bullpen next year. Who knows?
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping happens because I, I would be curious to see how he does there. I'm going to go with another A ball arm that I think was a little bit underappreciated this year, and that was Griffin McLarty. Now, real big time Orioles prospects fans will know that McLarty is kind of the answer to a trivia question who was the first pitcher? Drafted by Mike Elias in his role with the Orioles. The answer is Griffin McCarty, eighth round of the 2019 draft. So, in that sense, I think he was already somewhat notable coming into this year. But what I find interesting is he's a guy that really had his fair share of ups and downs at Del Marva, went to Aberdeen and was just dominant over the last six games of the season, six starts, puts together uh, 24 and two third innings with 22 strikeouts against eight walks. Finishes the season with ninety-one strikeouts and eighty-one in the third innings pitched. A guy that throws from the left side, and I think if nothing else, you know, you look at him going out there this year, making nineteen starts, appearing in twenty-three games. He's going to eat innings for you in the minor leagues, and I'll be curious to see if some of the improvements we saw at Aberdeen carry over into twenty twenty-two.
0: Yeah, I love my CAA guys. He's at the College of Charleston, so I watched him dominate my alma mater for a couple of years down there when he was in college but and another guy I'm glad I get to root for him him and Kyle Branovich I'm so glad I get to cheer for them not against them anymore um, he came out I think grinded his way through the year and came out looking like an improved pitcher and I was to be honest anxious to see how he was going to perform in high a after that promotion because you look at the Delmarva numbers and you watch him in Delmarva and there's like high ERA walk numbers were okay like Guys hit him and they got on base at a high clip against him, but he did a, a fantastic job of keeping guys off the base at high a. a small sample size sure, but he also went a lot deeper into outings, a lot of five inning starts over those last four or five weeks of the season, and that was something that I don't think he did, I don't even think he did it once until like August when he was with Aberdeen. So Michael Elias's first pitching prospect he drafts with Baltimore uh, at least enters twenty twenty two on a high note.
1: Yeah, exactly
0: uh my next guy let's see what we got next on the list I have two more here i'm gonna go to hitters and i'm gonna go with andrew dashbach first and i know i can't remember who it was so i apologize but i know a while ago like two months ago i think at this point someone did reach out and was like hey talk about andrew dashbach i'm intrigued uh so we're talking about him now um a guy we overlooked and he's a first base prospect he can play the outfield a little bit which i think is going to help him, but. He's a first base prospect. And we know like, unless you're mashing 40 home runs with a high batting average and huge walk numbers in the minor leagues, like you're not really going to be seen as a prospect of note. He's never going to crack the top 30 list. He also strikes out an absurd amount, like 35, 36% strikeout rate in AA this year. So that is troubling, but he tapped into that power this season that we were hoping we would see. He's coming out of Stanford. Um, same draft class as Kyle Stowers uh, and Maverick Hanley when the Orioles drafted three Stanford guys, 16 home runs on the year, eight at each level, good on base numbers, like round 350 combined. There's a stretch there too in Bowie where if you needed a late inning hit or an extra inning hit, like Dodgeback was your guy. He had a couple walk-off victories. Um, we'll see what he can do at the next level when he gets up to AAA, but I'll say at least like I know there's an the interview he had with Paul Mancano before the season started. And he mentioned where he wanted to cut down on the strikeouts, which he didn't quite do, but he wanted to use the entire field more, which he definitely did. If you look at his batted ball data on Fangraphs, graphs, uh, and he wanted to tap into his power and become a more well-rounded hitter, which I definitely tapped into that power. So, you know, it, it's, you want to see development. And I think to say the least, Andrew Doshbach developed this year and became a much more better overall hitter. So again, just like a lot of guys on this list, he's at least entering 2022, on a high note. But now let's we'll see if he can take that next step.
1: When um the month of May ended, Dasbach had appeared in 16 games, was hitting 185 with a 612 OPS and had strike already striking out 26 times. Um so he got off to a really slow start this year, but then turned it on, which I think as you said is part of his development. And it was good to see that development this year. The other thing I like too is that he does give you some versatility. Uh, he can play the outfield, and while I don't think you're going to mistake him for a plus defender out there, it, he can at least move around the diamond a little bit, which gives him a little bit more upside than just a typical first-base D8, uh, first-base prospect that masses a double-A but doesn't really do much else.
0: Yeah, I am concerned. I like Dashbach a lot, and I'm, I am I kind of get like J.C. Ascara vibes with him, though, because Ascara was a guy who... I really overlooked the lower levels, but as he started climbing up the organization, I really like J.C. Askar. I love the power from the left side there. Um, Good defender at first base as well, but he really struggled in AAA. And so I'm anxious to see if Dashbach can make that jump to AAA. At least this season was a good start, we'll say. Um, But yeah, I just think I don't think we really talked about Dashbach. Another guy, too, like his highlights got no love from Orioles fans. Come on, guys. He slugs home runs. We'll see what he does next year, though.
1: Yeah. So I'm going with another position player as well, but it's a guy we just talked about a little bit last week, and that's Ramon Rodriguez, who is out in the Arizona Fall League now. Um, yeah, you look at the bat. He appeared across three levels this year, put up okay numbers in 54 games. He did hit well at Aberdeen, but that's only a 22-game sample size. Yet when we had Zach Peek on the show, he talked about how much he loved throwing to Ramon Rodriguez this season. I can't imagine that he's alone in that feeling. And it's a bit of an interesting background because Rodriguez was originally drafted by the Dodgers back in 2018 that were, excuse me, back in 2016 was released in 2020 and then was picked up by the Orioles uh, before this season, still only 22 years old, which when you factor in the pandemic, the fact that he lost time because of being released and that he was drafted, you know, five years ago now, that's still a guy that's young enough. I would think for some development where, you know, if he shows continues to work well as pitchers and showed you good defense and it's just okay with the bat, he could stick around the system for a while and probably be a guy that catches the high levels because of what he gives you
0: behind the plate. Yeah. The age is a big thing there. I mean, catchers, it could be, you're looking at another three, four years before he could hit his prime of being a catcher. Um, I did also enjoy Zach Pete calling him out. I was not expecting that as well. Uh, for a lot of the things, that's the stuff, like, it's hard for us to see. I mean, and, and I know that's why a, a lot of guys, they, they talk about, like, when you're evaluating catchers, unless you were someone who caught at a high level in college or in the professional ranks, like, you don't see a lot of that, that small stuff that's really going to help a pitcher out. Um, I wish I could sit there and evaluate these catchers better, but I, I know I can't. And Rodriguez was a guy that doesn't put up the big stats, so you're going to overlook him. Uh, but clearly the Orioles appreciate Orioles pitchers appreciated him this year. He bounced around a couple of different levels. So the Orioles were at least confident enough in his abilities to catch these guys as well. Um, the fact that he was drafted by the Dodgers uh, piques my interest as well, because we know how good the Dodgers are at developing uh, pretty much anyone they select. So yeah, definitely an interesting name and he's out there in Arizona fall league right now. Maybe it should have been Maverick Canley and maybe he wasn't healthy. And that's why he got, he didn't get sent out there. The Orioles needed to send the catcher and Rodriguez was a healthy body, but um you know at this point, it's he's an interesting guy, young guy, too, and a pretty good defensive catcher on the back end as well. Oops.
1: So now we'll go to Nick,
0: uh, who's his final player on the list. I, I thought I froze there for a minute. Oh, <laughs> your screen went fuzzy. Um, yeah, uh, my last name is Patrick Dorian, and I felt like even though we have talked about him a little bit this year. And some other Orioles fans, I know he's on the list of looking at guys who deserve a shot next year at the major leagues. Patrick Dorian is a name that gets mentioned a couple of times, but I just think that you know he deserves more hype. And it's difficult. I think all three of us have difficulties in pinpointing like exactly what his future looks like. But I think Dorian is the type of player that gets overlooked very easily. And was one. Of, he was one of the first guys that came to my mind when I'm thinking of guys who are underappreciated this year. 21 doubles, 22 home runs, and 815 OPS in double A. Really good defense in the hot corner, good walk numbers. Like, he didn't get promoted to triple A, which I know a lot of people were calling for, and I think he should have. He didn't get promoted until like the final stretch. So, he only only had like three or four games with the Tides. And I imagine it's because Rylan Bannon's injury and Rylan Bannon's inability to get out of Norfolk probably hurt Dorian's opportunity a little bit. But, like, Dorian also played over 100 innings at first base in Bowie. He can play the position yet Norfolk decided to keep this like circus act of Ryan Ripkin on the roster all year, which was an absolute joke. Yet Patrick Dorian kept his head down, kept grinding for Bowie and put up a really good season. And so I think, I believe he's rule five eligible yes. this year. So yeah. So I don't think he gets protected. Um, I'd imagine teams maybe want to target. I don't, you just mentioned like, it, it's, it's possible to predict what happened in the rule five draft dorian you have to imagine is going to be on some teams list i think at least to look at so i don't know what the future holds for him but i hope he comes back next year in his in camp at least to get an opportunity he, yeah he's 25 but i don't think that age that doesn't mean anything he had less than 200 games i think i don't have his numbers in front of me anymore but i think he had less than 200 professional games under his belt before this season so still plenty of time for him to develop
1: Yeah, very little professional experience. And I like that you brought up the defense because I think the power numbers spoke for themselves this year. But good arm at the hot corner. Um, Not necessarily the best range, but the arm over there is good. And I thought he looked good at first base as well. So if the Orioles do protect him, which I wouldn't be opposed to at all, you do have a little bit of that versatility. He could play both corners. And I think even, you know, if you see a healthy and more productive Rylan Bannon next year, Bannon is not going to match Dorian's power if you compare those two side by side. So, you know, if Dorian does stick around, I think there's definitely a role for him.
0: Yeah. And I'm mentioning, I don't know, I feel like Kelvin Gutierrez gets a leg up because that defense is so good. Mm -hmm. And if the Orioles are going to prioritize defense over offense next season, especially infield, then, I could see Gutierrez maybe getting another shot, but Bannon wasn't a Michael Elias guy, and I don't remember off the top of my head. But was Michael Elias did he trade for Patrick Dorian, or did Dorian come to the organization before Elias?
1: I, I believe Michael Elias traded for him, but I'm double checking that right
0: now. So if he was, I mean, I don't know how much all of that really plays into this. I mean, for Bannon, if Ryland Bannon, Orioles think he's a good player, then he's a good player, and they're gonna they're gonna give him that opportunity. But that's just something else that I keep in mind thinking about it moving forward.
1: Yes, he was a Michael Ice pickup June of 2019 from the Pirates system.
0: Okay, so yeah, great season for Patrick Dorian. And we'll see if he's around next year, what this roster looks like.
1: My final player is someone who struggled a bit at the end of the year, but for much of the summer had a case as at least the steadiest pitcher on the Soarbirds roster, and that's Houston Roth. Um, Started off really strong, and particularly over June and July was really good. Um, not really having, you know, not t- big time strikeout numbers, but also not walking a lot of guys and limiting hard contact. Hit a, a little bit of a wall over August and September. And I don't know how much that had to do with innings pits, but Roth uh, ended up finishing the year as 81 in the third innings pits, far more than he ever threw at Mississippi State or uh, in college. So, yeah. Overall, yeah, mixed results, but I thought that Roth, for most of this year, was a really reliable arm in Delmarva. Uh, ends up, you know, 77 strikeouts, 81 in the third innings pitched. He left, you know, he showed enough there this year for me to be intrigued about what he can do, and especially if you couple that with the solid run that he had at Aberdeen back in 2019 after he was drafted in the 29th round that year out of all Miss, to correct my earlier statement. But Roth uh, put together a good season.
0: He shoved for a long stretch down there in Delmarva. And I know the nights where they had Zach Peake start and Roth was like the piggyback option. Those were some of the more fun games to watch all year down the minor leagues. And you saw the promotions when the promotions really started picking up earlier in the year. You never heard the name Houston Roth. And he stayed in Delmarva all year. But at that point, I think he really started to struggle. You mentioned that wall. I think that's what it was. The strikeout numbers weren't huge, but he kept the ball on the ground, in the yard. Not a lot of home runs he allowed. He has three good pitches. I love the intensity on the mound. Again, another high-energy guy out there. I'm excited to see what he can do with a fresh start in 2022, but I think the big issue was that he just hit that wall this year and tired out like a lot of pitchers did for obvious reasons this season.
1: And he'll be 24 next year in high A, which I think given the circumstances of having missed a full season is not bad at all. So definitely see what he could do in Aberdeen's rotation next year.
0: Yeah. And I know Bob uh, will shout out. Bob did throw a name in our chat uh, when we were talking about this segment. I'll throw that one out there too. Uh, Bob wanted to shout out catcher Cody Roberts. And I think we talked about uh, Ramon Rodriguez already and some others, but I think there's a very long list of highly underappreciated catchers in this system because the offensive numbers weren't there. And, you know, some guy named Adley Rutschman's in the system, but Roberts played, Across three levels this season, a 359 on base percentage across those three levels. His hit in Bowie was the hit that propelled Bowie into the playoffs, a clutch key hit late in the game. I always looked to Roberts when he was in the lineup just because you look at his lower levels, his first two years in the Orioles system, they're like no offensive numbers to really look at. Never been a guy like that's ever been highlighted on like any list or any conversation anywhere. Just a guy, just minor league filler, basically. But, you know, he stepped up this year and he was a guy who bounced around and I think had the confidence of the Orioles regime. Guys like him and Ramon Rodriguez clearly provide value to this organization and the pitchers in the system, which is pretty crucial right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, like we talked about it earlier, any sort of catching depth that you can build is a good thing. And I think to have guys like Rodriguez and Roberts in the system is good because you want that continuity level to level. Um, as pitchers move up, you want them to feel like they have a good catcher to throw to at each level of the minor leagues. So guys like Roberts, I think are really instrumental in that.
0: For sure. I think that was good. And there are more names that I think a lot more names that I could throw out, but I think that was a good list of guys that Orioles fans could be excited for going into next season. Other than guys that, you know, not on the top 30 list. A lot of these guys weren't even on our top 50 list. So then that's just speaks volumes about how deep the system is truly is going into next season.
1: Yeah, completely agree. And I know that Nick and I are looking forward to having Bob back next week. I think Bob is at Disney right now, probably telling Donald Duck how good Gene Pinto is. (laughs) At least that's what I think that Bob is doing. I don't know. We'll confirm that next week, but uh, hopefully he's enjoying his vacation and we look forward to having him back. Uh, Before we wrap up, Nick, any final thoughts?
0: Um. No, I mean, there's really no news in in Birdland, I guess, but I guess we're here. World Series starts tomorrow night. I mean, throw our preseason predictions out the window. Do you have a final pick now that we know the final two?
1: I think the Astros win it. Uh, I'll go Astros and six.
0: For obvious reasons, I want the Astros to win. Obviously, this is who we're we're trying to – we got Michael Eyes here, but – I'm going to have to go Braves. I'm going to go Braves in seven. I think I have to do that because I have a lot of friends who are Braves fans. And if I said anything different, I I don't know if they talk to me anymore. So go Braves.
1: Plus, if Kobe Mayo looks like Austin Riley in a few years, as far as player goes, I'll be very happy. So that is one thing that's been fun with the Braves.
0: For sure. And I want to see the Jock Peterson celebration because the pearl necklace with the red wine after they clinched the World Series was pretty epic. So go Jock Peterson.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we'll be back uh, next week with uh, Nick, myself, and Bob Phelan. In the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL and the Verds and check out Baltimore Sports and Life for the latest Ravens, college sports, Orioles coverage, and more. We've also got some high school sports on there. Be sure to join the message board, hop into discussion, and interact with uh, Baltimore Sports and Life writers as, along with our board contributors. Uh, for Nick Stevens, this is Zach Sweden, and thank you for listening to this episode of On the Birds.